Welcome to the Pet Cash Pod presented by Profluence Sports. I'm your host, Andrew Petcash. This is the 54th episode in my series where I interview founders, investors, athletes, and the smartest people in sports. Today's guest is Courtney Jeffries, CEO of Virtual VRTL, previously known as Virtual Tables. They are a virtual fan engagement platform delivering live autograph experiences combining both streaming and video chat functionality. They have segmentation capabilities so you can tailor it towards different fans, full production support, and uh, they're just a white-labeled solution in sports. They were previously in the Minnesota Twins Techstars Accelerator. And before jumping into the founder seat, Courtney worked for the Oakland Raiders, MSG, and was the chief operating officer of Satisfy Labs. This was an awesome discussion that touches on so many different verticals of sports tech, including AI, Web3, AR slash VR, fan engagement, and much, much more. You'll enjoy this one. I certainly did. Let's dive in. Courtney, appreciate you coming on today. Excited to dive into this one. Fan engagement, AI, a bunch of other interesting stuff. Thanks for having us. Yeah, looking forward to it. To it. Got to start here a few weeks ago. Rebrand. You're going yeah. from virtual tables to virtual. Go through it. The process, why you see this as important, you know, the press release around it. And uh, yeah, I'll let you take it from there. Originally, virtual tables was a platform designed for, you know, tabled events during the pandemic. And it was a name that really suited the platform at that time. It was a feature that a business was built around. Since that time and since the rebrand, since we've expanded and looked at scalability into live entertainment, it really wasn't a moniker that made a lot of sense for what we're doing. And we wanted to make sure that we people understood when they're talking about our company and our value proposition that we're really talking about all of virtual and, and what that particularly means in fan engagement and specifically in live entertainment. The, the process, I would say, I mean, you really got to really dig into it. It's not for the faint of part. And I would tell you, anybody that's going through a rebrand or wants to do it, go get yourself an incredible number two that's a creative person. Because anybody that knows me will tell you that picking out color schemes isn't necessarily my talent. And we are incredibly fortunate to have a very talented COO in Trish Violi who really drove a part of that. But, you know, Anything about a rebrand aside from the creative and imagining what you want people to be talking about you as, what you want them to remember you over, there's a, a ton of logistical components that you just have to think through one at a time. And so we're thrilled that it was such a successful launch and, and happy with where we landed with it. Yeah. And the shorter name, those usually seem to work better, a little more sticky, just like virtual. So do you have to go get all the domain name and all that stuff too? I know that yes. can get quite expensive and be quite a lot of work sometimes. Exactly, exactly. So, and and I will say it's part of the reason why we went with VRTL Live and also leaning into the identity of this as being virtual, but it's live as well, right? We are a part of live entertainment, live events, live experiences for fans. So that was a bit of the, the thought process around it. But, you know, there are so many different elements of the platform. It's not just one feature or one capability or one value proposition we're necessarily trying to drive. So the color scheme is very much intentional in that we want people to associate the different variety and the breadth of exposure and access that we have to executing these events to be very broad as opposed to just one note, like a virtual table. Right. Yeah. And I, and I want to go back now. I wanted to start at that just because that is the big news heading you and it's going to kind of tell the story as we go throughout this. But you, before you worked at Satisfy Labs, which we had done on the, the podcast a few weeks ago, Oakland Raiders, Stadia Ventures, you've done a bunch of stuff in sports. 
you know, what was this opportunity you saw that you just couldn't pass up? You're like, I got to jump into the founder seat. I got to pursue this idea full time, you know, me running the show. Well, thanks to Donnie, you know, I had an up close and personal gateway drug to start early stage startup life. So he really painted a picture of uh, an experience and I, I thank him immensely for it. But what and I'll date myself here when I worked for the Raiders so many years ago, it wasn't unusual for a live entertainment brand or team to not own their own stadium. Right. Like that was kind of the norm back then. And now you would never see that. It's, it's a huge deal to own and operate every facet of the fan engagement and fan experience and venue. So I find it curious that in today's age, that's not the approach that a brand takes to the virtual presence, right? They, a, a brand that has spent a lot of resources and time cultivating a fan base just ports it over to a platform like Twitch or YouTube or Instagram Live instead of finding or using a platform that's leveraged and, and designed for fan engagement. And so that was the gap that we identified in sports and engaging other industries adjacent to sports like music labels, music festivals, publishing, celebrity chef experiences. There is a, a huge gap in somebody owning the entire fan experience in a virtual setting to say nothing of taking the best practices that we know and love in sports and translating them into a virtual environment, like what we're most known for is the live autograph. So for me, there was definitely a gap in whether it's going to be BRTL or it's going to be somebody else. I do believe that in the next five years, what you're going to see is total ownership of the fan engagement experience by brands instead of necessarily putting it on a platform that they don't necessarily control or have access to. Yeah. And did uh, the Web3 kind of that push over the last few years, because it's kind of when you started building, did that have any impact on what you guys are doing or how you thought about anything or not really? No, there's absolutely an intersection where we approach, whether it's in a collectible and an NFT, which is, I think, become a bit of a four letter word these days, or, you know, tokenization of an experience and, and having that be a gateway into other more access. We absolutely are at that intersection. But I will say, and this isn't, you know, humility at all. Like there are exceptional companies out there that do Web3 blockchain execution. We would want to be in agnostic and available to work with anybody as opposed to either A, going up against them or B, you know, putting ourselves at a disadvantage for having to say no because, you know, we can't integrate or we can't, we're not compatible with, with one of those companies. Right. Yeah. And some of those companies grew pretty fast and they're very niche focused now. So I guess kind of before we get too far ahead of ourselves, just give us a quick overview of VRTL you know, what you guys are doing. And then I know we talked about this a little bit before, but any teams or cool projects or, you know, that you're collabing with that you can share publicly would be would be awesome. Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, our thesis says that we want live entertainment brands to own and operate their own virtual venue. We want to provide those virtual to pull fans deeper into their consumer funnel by leveraging, you know, in-person best practices at scale to the global fan base. And that can be anything from a you know, digital eight by 10 table with pipe and drape up into a couple hundred person auditorium style panel to a very intimate, you know, group setting of celebrities speaking directly with a set of fans. And really it's limited only by the imagination and value proposition or metrics that the brand is looking for. So what we are designed for is certainly creatives, but it's also in, in terms of delivering value across sports. We really pride ourselves in being both a tool for emerging sports leagues, like we are a a partnership with the XFL, um, with the Connecticut Sun, right? Like these guys are willing to try anything and really leverage the access that they have to players for all of their fans. 
They're highly creative and their metrics vary deeply from, let's say, the Formula One um, racing team that we work with who are a global brand and who are simply trying to grow their database with just the fans at the top of the funnel. So the most exciting component for us is when we have a brand say, hey, we want to try something new. We're working with a couple NFL teams. You know, right now we're, we're centered around how can we leverage training camp? What does that access look like? What do the rookie access look like? You can get into, you know, NBA coming up. You got Major League Baseball, right? There's all of the domestic access that we'd want to, you know, deliver across the world. But then thinking about overseas brands and what that looks like for, you know, soccer is an incredibly rapidly growing sport. What does that look like across the board? Yeah. And what are your thoughts on obviously the Women's World Cup coming up and then 2026 major milestone year with the, you know, the men's 2026? Yeah. You know, you guys focus around that. Like any thoughts on that? Are you targeting that area? Oh, absolutely targeting it. I mean, the thing about virtual is get, it gets confused or conflated with an either or for in-person, right? And that's not what we're talking about. If anyone wants to do really simple napkin math, if you packed every stadium, arena, theater, auditorium with fans, you're still only accessing about 5% of a global sports fan base. I mean, the math just simply doesn't support so many people getting to experience their fandom in person. So why isn't there a quality tool to engage those fans in a meaningful way, right? Not just a one-way stream, not just a one-way social media post, but in a two-way interactive platform that walks like, talks like, sounds like the brand that a team particularly wants to engage with, right? Um, or that right. fans actually want to associate with. Yeah. And you said 5% there. And I think I now found the other side of on your website, you have a 95% yes. of fans never attend an event. So is that kind of what you're referring to there? And, and then what's the, the breakdown? Like what was the data or what did you look at to kind of determine that? Yeah. I mean, you can really look at what stadium capacities are and what the identified fan base is for all of those sports. I mean, F1 is probably among the worst, right? There's only about three million tickets that are made available for those games. And, it, you know, there's millions, hundreds of millions of fans around the world for F1. So what are brands doing so that when the drivers do jump from team to team, as we've seen, right, how are the brands ensuring that they're pulling the fans deeper in the funnel for them, not just necessarily associated with the driver themselves or the player? Right. And this might be kind of a generic question, but I'm actually curious now your thoughts on this. What do you describe, like, or what do you label as a fan? Like, what starts to count when you're like, that's a fan yeah. of a team or whatever league or whatever player? Super complicated question, too, because you want to identify the total lifetime value of a particular fan, right? And our thoughts on it are really about looking at the fan among the spectrum of the consumer fund. You have very casual, I don't know if I'm going to be into this or not. You can look at the impact of what Netflix has done with Drive to Survive, with what they've done in the PGA with tennis to actually associate and, and expose an entirely new group of fans to a sport that other. I mean, this is true. Our, I mentioned Trish Violi, our COO. She's a rabid F1 fan because of Netflix now. But before that show, she wouldn't have been at all. So again, going back to kind of this fan funnel, you've got those that are just at the top, just sampling the sport or sampling the medium of what they're sort of into in terms of fandom. And then you have an opportunity to continue engaging them, driving them further into the funnel by delivering experiences that otherwise they wouldn't necessarily have. I mean, we've been, you know, a, a concept, for example, would be uh, having a panel of car engineers. They're not necessarily going to sign an autograph. They're not necessarily the star of the brand, 
but it's going to help you identify who are the motorheads, who are the guys that really just want to talk about the design and make of the car and, and why it's better, or why it struggles or, or any of those components. Now those fans are associating with a very specific part of the brand. So that's kind of how we look at the, the value of the fan itself. Yeah. And now jumping to fan engagement a little bit here. So obviously, like we've seen the impact of media, like you just mentioned, with Netflix bringing fans into this funnel. And now you're building sort of those platforms that kind of sit between in the middle of like making it go a little bit further. Like once you're in, capture it. How do you see this increasing? Where do you see fan engagement going next? And, and honestly, how do you define it to begin with? Oof, fan engagement is it's an emotional. I mean, it's a it's an odd mix of emotion and in the business side. Right. I mean, it, it's actual dollars of what a fan is worth to a brand versus just um, having their their nostalgia be up for grabs. What was sorry? Go back to the first part of your question. So fan engagement. Right. Yeah. We've broke down like how you define it. That was the first part. Now. Like, what are your thoughts on kind of how it's going to be portrayed, like going into the next evolution, right? So there's like the media that's bringing funnel in. You guys are building kind of in the center to make it go, you know, make it more connective to right. say, usually it's like player, right? A lot of people say it goes like player, team, league, whatever, you know, is there that next phase or what are those next, next technologies that are going to increase that further, which I'm sure are some of the things you're working on. Yeah, I'd, I'd answer that in the defensive on behalf of the brand, meaning if, if they don't figure out how they're going to engage the the fan as opposed to just leveraging star power, then I, I do think you're going to experience or you're going to see brands going through kind of a post superstar phase. You know, this is probably a, a nightmare example for anybody that lives in the Bay Area. But, you know, I think a clear assumption would be that if Steph Curry ever left the Warriors, that Steph Curry wouldn't necessarily lose the fans, right? The Warriors are more likely to feel that pain. So how can the Warriors today leverage their greatness, leverage their power in order to create closer relationships with either community groups, with up and coming generations of fans or even just the old school Warrior fans so that they don't jump ship necessarily when or if a superstar leaves? I mean, that's, again, a scenario. But for us, you know, if you don't engage at that level, if you don't leverage every aspect of your brand and you're really only focusing on marketing, the superstar marketing the gains. I don't think you should be surprised if you watch swings of fans just follow the talent, right? I, ju I don't think that you can be surprised by that. Right. And now I want to bring this to life. So with what you guys are doing and your thoughts around it. So Messi, he just goes to Inner Miami, right? Let's say, I don't know if they're a client or not, but let's say you're working with them. You know, what are you doing instantly to make sure it's a benefit to Messi, benefit to Inner Miami, benefit to you guys, and then obviously the fans that are the customers on the other side? So we would look at it. So for, and I would also, I would layer in for the good of soccer, right? Like a part yes. of yeah, yeah. the good, good of the point. sport as well, because it's, it, there's so many different layers yeah. for first. And, and he would be, I think he is quite exceptional. And so as yeah. far as like the rule goes, he is, but every, every brand, and this is irrespective of being sports or in book publishing or in music, right? Every live entertainment brand are going to have particular KPIs that they want. I would assume, and they are not a client of ours, but that, you know, driving revenue to the organization and that league are of immense importance. And so how are you going Miami beyond just Florida? How are you tapping into South America? How are you tapping into, you know, this is going to be the first time somebody of that caliber is really playing, right? Is really a part of the the fabric in, a, in such a front and center way. So 
we would say, hey, listen, you have one of the largest countries in the world in South America where he happens to be from. Let's 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 do some expansion. Let's see what we can do in, you know, Latin American, Spanish speaking countries um, to expand the brand itself, as well as expanding soccer in this country. We've there's also an element we haven't talked about, which is sponsorship activation and how that can get leveraged. Right. And so we often associate just like the talent with the team and brand itself. But there are any number of opportunities for the sponsorship that has the relationship with that talent to continue pulling and driving that that loyalty. I mean, I am not ashamed. And this, again, will date me horribly, but I drink Sprite because of Grant Hill. And that's a full stop for me. Like, that's that's it. Like, you know, so just as an example of that. Yeah. I mean, I drink body armor because of Kobe. So I guess like it's the go. same type of thing. Now on your on your business model, I'm assuming, right, just for clarity to listeners and stuff that you're probably selling this as like a software to teams yeah, leagues right? right correct yeah now so there was a partnership now i'm trying to remember this is why sometimes i should probably take better better notes but yeah, i know it's like tempest x i'm pretty sure you yes. guys have a partnership with them for ai and that's kind of where we're going right so i guess first talk a little bit about that partnership and then we'll kind of start to pick apart a little bit more AI and, and your thoughts on it. So uh, you mentioned our business model. So we are a subscription model. We charge a monthly fee. It's almost like rent, if you can imagine rent for your virtual venue. And the goal of the subscription model is to allow for a brand to activate as often and as with as much variety as they'd want in a given month. Paid for the month. If you do one event, it's the same price as if you did an event every day. That is for our early stage startup really important in driving usage and driving consumer metrics that we want to help translate into other industries. I mean, we've talked about publishing our music. There's off obvious ties with fandom, but they're not exactly the same, right? So how can we take the data that we have in sports and truly translate that or put a product roadmap together for other industries? How that relates to Tempest X, how that relates to any of our partnerships is in channel distribution and access into other markets. And what Tempest X really helps us open up is in the collegiate market with NCAA and NIL opportunities. This is a very compelling nut to crack, and I don't know that anyone necessarily has cracked the case entirely. We've participated in a couple opportunities with the student-athlete NIL summit. We have a partnership with Influencer as well as Tempest X to identify assets that are important to these student athletes that they could help monetize on our platform. It's also going to come, I think, and help be helpful for us in terms of collectives and, and operating in that space. But I think as much as anybody wants to say that the NIL opportunity is a no-brainer and it's really easy to, to execute and it's sports is sports is sports, that's a whole different kind of animal that continues to change every day. Our goal here is to remain a constant presence in the NIL space so that once things settle down and become a bit more, I would say, productized across the board or consistent that that we can help execute for student athletes. Yeah, and I'm glad you brought up NIL because we do have a lot of people in athletic departments that listen to this. Yeah. So I just have to go into it now. You know, yeah, what, what are some of the things on. you're seeing that any problems, just any other additional insights that you're seeing now actually working with, you know, actual companies in the space like Influencer and then Sano, I'd say it, it is a company, but like they kind of they run, you know, Jason, he runs the conferences and they do a lot of different stuff. So you got a pretty good scope into a lot of different sides of the, the business or the industry yeah. of NIL. And not dissimilarly to the Web3 blockchain, we want to remain pretty agnostic when it comes to any of these potential partnerships, whether it's in you know, fulfillment and, and sponsorship execution, Campus Inc., Brand R, those guys are great and they really know what they're doing. Same with Onnit Athlete. Are there opportunities for us to be, you know, a support? What we, how we identify ourselves slightly differently in the NIL space is 
we want to be a tool for everybody, not necessarily the one percenters, which I think has gotten a lot of the media attention and is very flashy. And those deals are quite huge. We are, I mean, never is a long time, so I won't say never, but we are highly unlikely to pay a student athlete to be on our platform just to use it for as a stunt, right? If anything, we would be the tool that another company uses to execute said stunt, right? So while, while that end of the spectrum is operating, we look at the balance of student athletes that maybe are only going to make beer money or rent money, which absolutely, Andrew, would have been me when I played softball at the University of Washington. I would have not have been a one percenter. What about me too? So we're yeah, in the same right? Like, that's where we're at. And so what- I would, I would have taken it though. I would have taken that, that. Right? I think that's what's really interesting is that had there been a tool for the non-one percenters to use and leverage, a good majority of them are interested in in exploring that, right? And and not just necessarily saying, well, if I can't make a hundred grand, then I'm not going to do anything. And so we like to look at ourselves as a tool that's designed for everybody, sort of the everyman student athletes, uh, in the same way that we talk about on the pro side that we want to support emerging leagues all the way up to the marquee. We would say the same thing in the spectrum of student athletes as well. Everybody come, I shouldn't say everybody, overwhelming majority played at high school level. They have hometown fans. How can they leverage themselves and make opportunities out of those um, community groups or those those support systems on our platform is what we would say there. But yeah, and we've now touched on Web3 NIL. So we're hitting a lot of major industries, which is cool that you guys are across. So we got to hit one more. I have it bullet pointed. AR, VR, that a lot of people are saying like with Apple coming out with their new things, like this is the next phase, especially when it comes to sports. There's going to be whether it's training, there's going to be a lot of integrations. You know, you guys... Looking at that, preparing for it, is there any cool things you can do? Because I could see that being a huge fan engagement piece. Yeah. What's interesting, this will be a, a bit of a tangent. So like go on a walk with me as I go through this. But our our marquee experience on the platform is getting a live autograph. Meaning if you and I were actually having this conversation on our platform, I could get Andrew. And what sport did you play? Basketball. Okay. So I would get your action shot and you would take a touchscreen device, autograph it, and I see it come through in real time to me. Like it's quite literally, mm-hmm. I'm watching you autograph. One of the comments that we get at times is, oh, well, you know, what do I do with it? I want a physical autograph. Well, let me stop you there because we can have an autograph over a live video clip. There is no physical live video clip that I can view that's personalized and autographed to you. You hit a buzzer beater, you you know, you have some foul, you have a slam dunk, whatever the case is, right? Like that becomes the thing that gets autographed. In this moment, we have arrived obviously at the blockchain web three component of turning this into some sort of digital ownership or digital asset tokenized, you know, NFT, et cetera, et cetera, whatever you want. But when it comes to AR, VR, imagine sitting in, you know, at Madison Square Garden courtside while you're watching the Knicks play. And what you see is actually what gets autographed. It was your experience in your moment. So our product roadmap has a lot more personalization for fans. I Happen to be a massive Killers fan. I absolutely love them. I am like ridiculous about it. The last time they played at the Garden, Bruce Springsteen came out for the encore and they finished the show with Born to Run and I thought the roof was going to blow off the place. <laughs> Imagine that my autograph experience with the Killers or my autograph experience with the boss isn't some random hero shot, but it is literally the moment that I got to see that I took on my phone. And now it becomes much more personal. And a debate about, you know, is it collectible? Is it nostalgia? Is it just memorabilia? It's really in the eyes of the beholder of who, you know, who experienced the moment. And for us, when it comes to the business side of live entertainment, what we're talking about is creating an opportunity to monetize that fandom, right? Up until now, you can't do anything with that other than perhaps post it on social media or send it into some sponsored, you know, activation. What we're saying now is 
from purchase to memory, there are opportunities for a brand to engage at scale with talent and drive revenue and pull fans deeper, attract, retain, and measure fans by pulling them into a consumer funnel with a proper platform, with something that's designed for them and for this. So in terms of AR, VR, I think it's great. Uh, there's definitely opportunities for us to to layer in, in for that. Yeah, that's, that's very cool. Uh, that is, I, I must say, that would be awesome to have. Like, I'm just thinking of some of the concerts or games I've been to right. to actually have. Like, I remember when I was younger going to a LeBron game, I was in the elevator with my dad, my brother, and Greg Popovich. Like, if there was a picture Amazing. and like that sign, that'd be really cool, right? That'd be really yeah. cool. Now, I guess we've gone through all the technology, so let's just go to the next one, which is the last one, which is uh, artificial intelligence, AI, which everyone wants to talk about. Where's that play into all of this? You know, for us specifically, it's not necessarily in our product mo- roadmap uh, immediately for integration. I'm sure that there are opportunities that automate parts of our platform. But, you know, what I see in sports, I mean, listen, I came from Satisfy. So in terms of the business side of what AI can do in terms of make, creating greater efficiencies across teams, like, absolutely, that's that's quite compelling. And, and I think it needs to be engaged with it at a much higher level. Most of the time when I, you know, am talking on a podcast or giving an interview, somebody says like, oh, what's your advice for the next generation? And my comment is that like, I legitimately worked for the Oakland Raiders before they had social media. That's how old I am. So like, be kind in the comments. But the point is, had somebody said, hey, you should go to college and major in social media management or any sort of professional degree at that time would have been laughable. It would have not been taken seriously. Now you would never operate a brand of any kind, live entertainment or otherwise, without having expert care over your social media. So I look at emerging industries or emerging technology, excuse me, like AI, AR, VR, even Mm -hmm. us as, you know, next generation of sports executives, their job probably doesn't exist yet. And, and for brands to sort of wait for the first adopter, I, I think slows the industry growth, right? A nice comparison that people often look at is how quickly and how far advanced casinos in Las Vegas are as an as a ecosystem, right? And the way that they leverage CRM and data and how they know every single thing that you do in order to create, yes, an optimal experience while you're there, but extract every last penny out of you. That same that same mentality is about 15, 20 years behind in most sports teams to say nothing of, you know, the collegiate level, et cetera. So, you know, for me, you know, looking at teams that are, you know, best practice betties that want to try new things and really push the envelope, I think are awesome. I think they're brave and I think they're they're doing what's right in sport. Even if it crashes and burns, even if it's a colossal failure, yeah. it's exploring ways that this industry should grow. Yeah. And also just shows you talked about the social media component, how fast these technologies are just it's like Web3, AR, VR, AI. It's like, what's next? And I guess kind of off that, any other trends in sports that you're paying attention to or you think are interesting that other people should be? I genuinely wish that um, that Web3 wasn't so closely associated with NFTs because it's it's just such a misunderstood application for efficient data application and access to experiences or access to regular business on a much more secure opportunity. And and certainly it doesn't necessarily benefit us directly in that capacity, but that that to me in terms of owning a ticket or saying, you know, any kind of digital ownership, I think is going to be very prevalent to be sure. But And also, you know, this the streaming piece. We are tangential to streaming. I, we, again, never is a long time. We're not going to be in the media more like for, you know, streaming rights or anything like that. But we sit there as a um, tangential tool for fan engagement. And I think that's going to be who's ever owning the opportunity to speak directly to the fan instead of putting it on something else and risking losing 
the data, risking losing the engagement. You just don't have that kind of control. I mean, when you think about saying, I'm going to take a piece of my fan pie and I'm going to go give it to somebody else is, in, is kind of wild. And that's what's happening right now. Instead of saying, what platform exists to us for us to engage and do it the exact same way, but have all that control? Yeah, I did think the Dow model was interesting for sports as well, of like owning parts of a team like fans. Like, I think that makes a lot of sense. It's just it hasn't caught up. But off that, it, it has kind of built this need for community. And, and we'll kind of we'll finish with this and then we'll let you final uh, wrap it up. Sure. But like in terms of community, right, how do you view that and how do you view that teams can build that stronger or a startup or an athlete? Like what's your thought process around community? Because that's kind of where you're building in the center of it. It's like once that's built, that's where you live. It's so fun. If your podcast thing doesn't work out, Andrew, you can come join our company because I feel like you just snuck that one in there. And that's exactly what we talk about <laughs> often is. So a part of the difference about BRTL versus other platforms is that we leverage both streaming and live video chat. And so we actually talk about a brand segmenting out their fan base in a way that says, you know, Andrew, you fit the profile of a former student athlete. It went to uh, games with their father and is likely to take the, his own children to games. Let's go put you with other fans on our platform to experience this with your cameras on and together. So now we've literally created a community of you, of yous talking in and experiencing this again, because it's going to pull you into the fan base. You're going to start telling stories about that brand. Like this has now become a part of your sports family, right? And how, and how you engage there. But if you really want, irrespective of our platform, if you really want to get me on my soapbox, yeah. The social requirements, I think, of athletes and, and teams and brands is really important and should not be ignored in terms of the communities where they play, the social responsibility of what their arenas and stadiums mean to those communities, how they're built. You know, there's, there's definitely a mandate, in my opinion, that should be enforced of doing it in a way that, that's beyond just the bottom line. These things, they're going to make money. It's, everyone's going to be okay. It's about what that lasting impression looks like and how well, how well they're doing it. And you know, unfortunately or fortunately, depending, I suppose, on who you ask, sports uh, stadiums are become it's it's a luxury item. It's a luxury experience to go to something live. And that wasn't always the case. Right. So there there is, to me, a real responsibility to continue engaging meaningfully. Don't check a box, but like meaningfully engage community groups, you know, not just fans from around the world, but digging into where you actually live and play. Yeah, no, that's, it's interesting. Sports is such a great like social community thing and uh, it's cool. And I'm, I like what you guys are building in that front. Now, I guess kind of give us any future initiatives or anything you want to talk about, Courtney, from your side that you think, you know, you just want to, you just want to share with others of what you got going on or, you know, a cool event you got or whatever it is. I mean, I can't, we're definitely in the hunt for some things. So you got to talk to me in a month and I'll tell you, like <laughs> you screaming it from the rooftops, but you know, there's a, we just completed Techstars, the accelerated program out in Minneapolis, which was great. And, you know, a, a consistent piece of feedback we got from mentors was, you know, the only people that got rich during gold rush were those that supplied the equipment to actually do it. Right. And I think we've done an exceptional job at positioning us as a partner for creativity and for different outlets of fan engagement and how we can support it, whether it's in as something that's owned by the brand or the team itself, all the way down to a tool that can be used to execute a tentpole event, you know, of some global sports event around the world or, or a sponsorship activation. So 
I think we're just really excited for those that want to try this and those that want to get involved in engaging a global fan base. And those titles are pretty rare. I mean, I think, you know, we, we've been joking about the social media manager being not being something that they had ages ago. You know, marketing managers aren't necessarily tasked with uh, global mandates. And um, for the teams that are, absolutely get this immediately. And they see the value of either driving new names to database or pulling fans deeper into a consumer funnel with higher NPS scores, all the way down to just being innovative, just saying like, hey, we're going to we're going to do this because it gives us a chance to deliver something very compelling to our fans that otherwise wouldn't exist. So that's what we're that's what we're most excited about, to say nothing of like everything outside of sports, right? Like there is so I mean, there's sports, there's sports adjacent, and then there's all of live entertainment. And and for that, we're pretty excited. Yeah. Now, as we close out here, I guess just give everyone where we can find more about you guys yep. on social media, website, all that kind of stuff, or check you guys out. Absolutely. You can find our new website, thanks to Trish Violi. Um, it is vrtl.live. It's very cool. It has all of our case studies. It's got, you know, our logo map, which we're very proud of. It has all of the press. So, you know, when this goes live, that'll certainly be on but it'll give you an idea of the breadth of activations that we do. It's going to walk like, talk like, feel like an agency, but it's actually not. These are rinse and repeat off the shelf, ready to go events for, for brands. So if something's interesting to you, uh, let us know. We'd love to hear from you. Very cool. Well, Courtney, enjoyed this conversation. Appreciate you coming yeah. on. And, uh, yeah. you know, I, I, uh, you talked about the equipment. I was going to say at some point in there, you guys are like a pick and shovel play. So it was yes. like, it was perfect. It's exactly yeah, what you I'm guys are. And just come join us. Just, you know, when you're, when you're done with the podcast, you can come be with us. I love it.